I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pensburg Podcast, episode number 40 of the Pensburg Podcast. And Jim, this is the first episode that we will be recording or we have recorded since the coronavirus pandemic had shut everything down a little over four months ago. And that's just crazy to think about, you know, where we were, what we were doing, what the Penguins were doing three months ago, three to four months ago and to where we are now with the, with the playoffs about to start back up again. But we're going to get try and, and get back into the swing of things like we've always done. We're going to start off with what we had been doing before we were halted by the pandemic. This is episode number 40, and we're going to look back in uh, Penguins history to all those who, all those who have worn uh, the number 40 in Penguins history. Uh, Jim, I'll go first this time around, and for my number 40, uh, there aren't really a lot of big names to talk about, but I think one of the biggest names on the list that you provided was that of uh, Frank Pietrangelo, probably best known for making what is uh, become known in the Penguins lore as the save on Peter Stastny in the 1991 Stanley Cup playoffs. And Jim, you can obviously speak to more experience about that being um, the older Penguin fan here and, and talking about maybe what what the save meant to that team in 91 and what it means to that team looking back at it years later. But uh, yeah, I think I'll go with Frank Pietrangelo for my number 40 and I'll hand it over to you to pick your favorite number 40 in Penguins history. Yeah. Hey everyone. What's up? Uh, Thanks for joining us again. Uh, We had quite the long break. It was just tough to soldier on in general, but we're glad that, that everyone made it and hopefully there's better times ahead for my number 40, mostly a goalie number, though not not so much lately. I'm, I am sticking with another goalie, though, in Patrick Laleem, who came up and had a 16-game unbeaten streak to start his NHL career, but then it had a contract dispute with the Penguins and never played for him again after that season. So he's mine. Uh, 
like you mentioned, Garrett, the Frank Peter Angelo say that that was a big deal. That really kind of helped propel the Penguins, and it was just kind of one of those signs. I think when you look back on any Stanley Cup run, there's always those magical moments that stick out, and you think, wow, that had to go just right, and it certainly did for them against the Devils in that that game and that moment, and that was a big one. So that that's a good number, a good a good deep cut for franchise history for sure. And you mentioned these magical moments that, that seem to sprout up during long and eventful playoff runs that hopefully lead to Stanley Cup championships. And really, that's what we're going to be looking at in this episode as we you know, start to get back in the groove of things and we look ahead to the, the road that the Penguins have going on into what is hopefully a deep Stanley Cup run. And uh, so I guess what we can do, Jim, is we can recap the, the, the last four months I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot to talk about what over what the Penguins have done over the last four months. Uh, I guess if I guess if you've been paying attention to a lot of the players' Instagrams and uh, Twitters and social medias, uh, I guess you can see what what kind of fun activities uh, a lot of the players were doing while they were at home quarantining. But as it comes from a pure hockey uh, a pure hockey NHL Pittsburgh Penguins perspective, you know there really hasn't been a whole lot of action. Uh, the 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 one thing I do want to say, I guess that has been a positive. The NHL uh, worked out uh, an agreement with uh, Gary Bettman and the Players Association, extending this the current CBA through 2026. So, Jim, I think you might you might know this, you might not know this. Uh, correct me if I if you do if I'm wrong. But I think this is the first time in Gary Bettman's history as NHL commissioner that he will uh, he will not have any disruptions in terms of labor labor peace with the players union and uh, the, the, I guess that's one positive outcome out of all of this and the return to play. Obviously we want everyone to be healthy with the pandemic uh, still ravaging uh, places around the world, but the, the labor piece go, it will be good through the 2026 season. That's a positive Jim. What else can you think of anything that has caught your eye over this, this three month stoppage? No, not too much. And yeah, you are correct between they had, a lockout, I believe, in 1994, a long lockout in 2004-05 that canceled the whole season, another one in 2012. So, yeah, this is Gary Bettman's first time extending it without having a stoppage, which is great. But pretty much both sides had no choice but to do this, and they're both looking at a new television contract coming up in America and also a 30-second franchise coming in next season in Seattle. So that should be bringing in more revenue for the players and the owners. So at this point, I think they banded together out of necessity, given the economic landscape of, of what they were staring down if they didn't. So that is a good thing, and that is positive to, to keep some peace, especially you'd think it takes them through the end of the Crosby Malkin era at least, so those guys won't have to worry about that. But otherwise, yeah, you're right, just... I think everyone's doing the same thing, just kind of bunkering down and waiting for news and waiting for the plans and finally figuring out what they could do and when they could do it. And really only in the past month or so did we get to that stage. Jim, I'd like to get your your thoughts on the way the, the NHL and Gary Bettman and the players have handled the, the, the return to play format, because I've, I've always looked at it, you know, when this thing started back in March, uh, I think the NBA was the first league to really shut everything down. And uh, I think a lot of the other professional leagues that were playing at the time followed suit. So I always thought that the NHL was looking at how the NBA were kind of conducting business because, you know, both of those league schedules 
I won't say they're intertwined with each other, but they do play in close proximity with one another with, with, you know, a lot of um, the NHL teams sharing a lot of the facilities with the NBA teams. Uh, So I just like to get your quick thoughts on, you know, how you think the NHL has handled the, 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 I guess we can call it the, the, the return to play plan. I guess that's what it's called, how they've handled everything. And if, you know, as things stand right now and uh, towards the end of July, heading into, heading into August as the NHL gears up to start the postseason, you know, there haven't been too many bumps in the road uh, when it comes to players testing positive as uh, a lot of these teams are going to be entering their bubbles very shortly here. But Jim, overall, I think it's been a pretty successful, you, you know, migration into this phase three and soon phase four as all of these teams and all of these leagues really start to manage uh, their, you know, start to manage their startup plans as we enter this new normal. Yeah. Um, if if they're going to try to restart things, I don't think they could have done it much better. They chose locations in Canada, which isn't dealing with the the volume of cases that we're seeing in other places like in America right now. So that's a positive, I think, for their choice of locations. Unlike the NBA, who's doing it all in one centralized area, hockey, since you need rinks and there's ice maintenance to, to keep up with, they split it two, one for the east and in Toronto, one for the west in Edmonton. And, you know, I, I think that's about as sound a choice as you can make. And the NHL's public relations department released a tweet on Monday saying that of the last five days, a period of July 13th through 17th, they administered 2,618 tests to over 800 players and only had two positive cases in the last week. So that looks like a good sign, especially now when the players aren't really in their bubbles like you mentioned. Um, obviously, nobody's going out on the south side and, and carrying on and going too crazy. I think most of the players are are pretty, are pretty doing well to distance themselves from the public in general. But yeah, like you mentioned, it's coming up this weekend. The Penguins will be going to Toronto and pretty much in their little isolation zones and their hotels and and just you know the playoffs are going to start here pretty soon it's, it definitely feels like it's moving very quick at this point i guess jim that, that that would be a positive that things are moving quickly and rather smoothly as the nhl looks to enter its its phase four in the return to play action and with that uh we do have a little bit of penguins news um outside of the scrimmages the intra squad scrimmages that we'll touch on in a little bit the, the, the Penguins will have some not meaningful game action, but they will be playing uh, another professional NHL team in the Philadelphia Flyers on uh, July 28th. That will be the, their, I believe, their one exhibition game in the bubble before they ramp up activity before the game one of the uh, the play-in begins on August 1st against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Jim, I don't know if you want to add too much in terms of the exhibition game. Obviously, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's an exhibition game for for both of these clubs, and you know, as we look at we look at things from the Penguins' perspective, you know, uh, they're hopefully gearing up for what will be a, a long, very different Stanley Cup playoff run than in years past. But you know, it, it it brings notoriety because it's a game against the Flyers. I don't know if if the game will have the same intensity than uh, even a, a typical regular season game or a playoff game. I have to think both of these teams, even though they're, you know, they hate each other, both of these teams will be relatively rusty. I know they're obviously working out some of that rust in these these practice scrimmages that they're having, but 
I can't I can't talk too much about this exhibition game, obviously because it hasn't happened yet, and two because I personally don't think a lot will come of it. I don't think that you know, I don't think players will be gunning with the same kind of intensity or nastiness that you might see in a regular season or postseason game. Do you have any thoughts on the Flyers Penguins exhibition game coming up on July 28th? It will be interesting to see and just kind of the ramp up of how it's gone. The Penguins had a, a scrimmage last Saturday. They had one on Monday, another one on Thursday, another one on Saturday, just uh, between themselves. And then they only get one game against a new new team, that being Philly. And then just like that, boom, it's playoff time. So again, I, I think just the suddenness of, of this is really the takeaway for me that these guys are going to have to hit the ground running. And maybe we'll see that carry in, in into round one, where a team like the Penguins play a five-game series against Montreal. So by the end of that, you would think they'll be used to just their routine and flow of being in Toronto in their bubble, playing the same team every game, alternating home ice advantages of who gets the last change and all that stuff. So you compare that to the top four seeds in the East, which are Philly, Boston, Tampa, and Washington who are playing each other round robin style and that's going to be different because they're going to be playing each other a different team every game and those games I think are going to really feel like exhibition just because it's not going to be that same team you're playing every game knowing that if you lose three out of the next five you're going home so that's kind of a a way a tangent for me to say that you know it's going to be interesting just because it's such uncharted waters and it starts with the Philadelphia exhibition. Um, I would agree with you. You would think it's not going to be that intense or these guys aren't going to be going like the Stanley Cups on the line because it's not. But at the same time, I mean, it's still rival teams and everyone knows this is the only preseason game for everybody. So you still have to get that intensity up and and figure out how you're going to play. Uh, the Penguins-Flyers game is at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern, which isn't a terrible start time, but... That's not a normal time when NHL games start at 4 o'clock Eastern. You don't see that very often. So that's going to be something to have to adjust to and have to get used to in a lot of cases. That's going to be an interesting aspect about which teams might adjust to that and take to that better than others. I don't think you can predict going in what's going to be what, who's going to do well, who's not. But that's just a challenge that everybody's going to be faced with. Um, It'll be interesting, too, to see how the Penguins handle their goalie situation, which goalie they're going to play. Do they play Matt Murray the whole game? Do they give Tristan Jari a period or two? You know, I, I would think probably they split it, but just I'm sure, you know, the performance of that game, a lot of people will be talking to figure out what's going to happen next, which I'm sure we'll talk about ad nauseum for the next week or so as we have been. But, yeah, I think it'll be very interesting for for those reasons. And, you know, the Penguins scrimmage on Monday was very sloppy. The passes, a lot of them were off the mark. The defensemen aren't really battling or doing much in front of the net, and they're kind of getting lazy with some of their passes and stuff like that. So I think it might be a good thing to see a new team that that at least reinforce the fact that, hey, we got we to gotta get it in gear here pretty soon because these games are going to go from, you know, just meaning very meaningless to all of a sudden being the most meaningful games of the year when you're playing a very short series against Montreal that starts really before you know it. Jim, one last thing, and we'll put a bow on this segment and we'll move into what's happening at training camp. Do you think that even beyond the Penguins, do you think a lot of these teams that have qualified for the postseason, um, you know, when, when these games do start to matter 
And in the case of the Penguins and Canadians, it'll start on August 1st. Um, do you think, how sloppy do you think both teams will be right out of the gate? Because we're so accustomed to watching an 82-game season uh, end in April, in the middle of April, and then, you know, a couple of days off and we're heading right into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And with circumstances so different this year, a lot of these teams, a lot of these players haven't played in three plus months. And, you know, after this one exhibition game, they're heading right into uh, they're heading right into the games that matter. They're heading right into a chance to compete and win the Stanley Cup. Do you foresee any, um, I don't know if I would call it long-term sloppiness or long-term rust on these players, but do you have any apprehension or reservations that a lot of these early games that you're going to see in these early play-in matchups and maybe even going into the traditional round one of the playoffs, do you think a lot of these games have the potential to be a little bit rusty and the on the on ice product isn't um, up to par as what it might typically be in a regular season? It, that's a good question, and I, I do tend to think so. They've released the game times for the Penguins and the Canadians for the first three games, and all three of those games are going to be at 8 p.m. And if you look at it, that's going to be the third game of the day on that rink in Toronto for each day. So you're going to be looking at a, a rink that's had a lot of hockey being played. So I think you can even question, how's the ice going to be? It's the dead of summer. It's really hot. You don't have fans coming in and out of the building, so maybe by kind of having it in a lockdown atmosphere that it'll be better for the humidity and better for the temperature on that front. But, you know, just from usage, I think the ice is not going to be ideal for the slots where the Penguins are going to play at least their first three games. And like you said, the rust factor is going to be huge um, just because you have these guys doing nothing and barred from rinks for three and a half, four months, and now all of a sudden it's it's NHL playoff time, the most intense time of the year where everyone's usually coming into it playing 82 games in six months and just on a roll, and now this has been such a huge long stoppage that who knows what to expect. Um, yeah, I think it could be some sloppy play. I think there could be some broken plays. You know, maybe the ice is choppy, the puck's just bouncing around, and, and it comes down to a matter of luck or chances or timing or who knows? But, you know, the only thing, I guess, it's an even playing field for everyone. No one's really been in a situation like this before. No one really knows exactly what to expect or how to handle it. So if there's one good thing, I guess, it's that it's new for everybody and it's no real advantage. And, I mean, I guess it's just the ultimate wait and see, especially, you know, the public, you and me, everyone. We've just been sitting around for months and months sitting, waiting for this moment, for these games. And, you know, I guess we've got to be happy if they can pull this off and actually get this done in a safe manner. That's awesome, and, you know, it'll be enjoyable no matter what it is. But, yeah, I don't think it's going to really be the most beautiful game there, especially early on. Yep, I, I, I couldn't agree with more with you, Jim, on, on your statements. And, yeah, it's it's the ultimate wait and see. That's a perfect way to describe it. Jim, we're going to move back into the present day now instead of looking ahead to the future, and we'll talk about some of the things that have been happening at Penguins training camp over the last couple of days. And the biggest thing of note, obviously, um, for those who have or maybe haven't been paying attention, is the sudden absence of Sidney Crosby due to an apparent injury he suffered uh, on last Saturday's uh, scrimmage. Uh, Jim, I watched a tiny bit of this scrimmage on Saturday, and I, I believe I was watching right at the time where I heard Josh Getzoff say Crosby grabbed his stick and walked back into the dressing room. And we never saw him again during that scrimmage. Uh, and 
after the game, it was addressed by Mike Sullivan, uh, assuming it's because of these new coronavirus protocols. You know, he's not allowed to address the, this injury. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be like that for all injuries. You know, typically, you know, we poke fun at the fact that hockey coaches are so keep everything close to their chest and don't release any information anyway. But this Crosby injury, from what you and I have read and heard, doesn't sound like it's it's a big deal. Uh, I'm sure if the playoffs started tomorrow, Crosby would probably be out there. But uh, anytime Crosby leaves the ice for an apparent injury, it's going to make headlines nonetheless. So uh, do you have any sort of insight, anything that you, you, you may have heard differently than I when it comes to this apparent Sidney Crosby injury? Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone really knows for sure or is saying quite yet. I do agree with you that, you know, all indications of, of people who have talked to people say it's a very minor thing. But for me, what stood out about that was the timing. It uh, Crosby left early into what they called the second period of the scrimmage. They played for a while, then took a 15-minute break while the Zambonis came out and resurfaced the ice and they came back in. So that that really that put my ears up almost immediately because you have a guy who's who skated around, played played well. He looked really good, really strong in the first period that he played. Then he takes a break and he sits around for 15 minutes. Then he comes back and presumably maybe maybe something got tight, maybe something felt strange. I, I mean, that's very common when you're skating in hockey, whether it's your groin, your hips, your back, you know, just anything could could feel a little off. And that makes you nervous just because Crosby's coming off of the midseason hernia surgery. And, you know, towards the end down the stretch, he wasn't his most dominant in February and March. So that kind of makes you wonder if it's that. But then again, all you're doing is wondering, because like you mentioned, all the NHL teams can say is this can line that players are unfit to participate. You know, whether you have a hangnail and you're pretty much okay, or whether you're in the hospital going for big time surgery, you're just unfit to participate. And that's really unfortunate. And that that's bad for the game. That's bad for the fans. That's bad for the sports. I mean, it's not the end of the world that we don't know exactly what is wrong. And certainly I think the spirit of that rule was to protect players who are getting screened for COVID or if, heaven forbid if they should get the disease and have to quarantine away you don't want to you know do health privacy violation laws and put everybody's business out there i can understand that but just for the league to have a blanket rule that says yeah we're we're going to give you nothing no details no information especially for something like this where it's obviously not covid related for Sidney crosby he was practicing he was fine he had some sort of a twinge or he did something on the ice that caused him discomfort and then he left. I mean, that, that part's obvious and that they can't confirm that and can't say, hey, he, he's fine, it's day-to-day, or say, hey, it's longer term or whatever they want to say. I, I think they should at least say that right now to illuminate fans, especially after all these weeks and months we've been waiting. I don't see why they would want to leave every, anyone in the dark over this, but that's the way it is, and I don't know if it's going to change. So we might all just have to deal with it. And I guess bottom line, just wait and see. The, the word of the podcast is wait and see when Sidney Crosby's back, and hopefully it's sooner than later. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. 
Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. And uh, another uh, camp happening that uh, really raised some eyebrows uh, when camp began was the absence of uh, lineup regular Patrick Hornquist, along with eight other players who were held out for a week after what the Penguins reported as secondary COVID-19 exposure. Um, so, Jim, I, I, as far as we know right now at time of recording, um, we do know that these players have since been cleared to return to play after their, uh, assuming that their quarantine period had ended, they were approved by the league to come back and this is really um, nothing to worry about. Although it, it, obviously it is worth noting because you, you never know where you could you might catch this 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 virus. But you know the the absence of Hornquist and the eight other minor leaguers, the eight other depth players who were called up is certainly worthy of note. But as it stands, you know right now, it looks like in some of the upcoming scrimmages that the Penguins will have before the exhibition game against Philadelphia, it looks like Hornquist and a lot of these other players will probably get some ice time and probably try and shake off a little bit more of that rust that they were going to do before they were told to quarantine. But it, it's a scary sight nonetheless, because even though it, it was reported as secondary COVID exposure, you know, you can't really, I, I would leave no stone unturned when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, it, it just, it, it seems like too much of a risk. It is a risk. And like, like I said, the stat I gave earlier that only two players have tested positive across the whole league in the past week. And that would have been this period when the nine penguin players were being held out. So yeah, I would agree with you that it was just a precautionary thing where they took these guys to the side after they were, you know, in, in proximity to someone who was known to have it. And at that point they were out for exactly a week. So I'm sure that the you know it looks like the standards of the guidelines is hey if this happens you're out a week you're going to get tested a couple times we'll see if these tests come back negative if so you're good to go and that's really what it looked like in Pittsburgh in this case so I guess that's the best possible case you could hope for is that everything clears up but that's one of the dangers because nine players that's that's almost a third of the team's roster and like you mentioned it's only Patrick Hornquist was the only player expected to be in the starting lineup on on game 1 but that's still a large chunk of your team and you look at a place in Boston they've had nine players out too and it's not just a Patrick Hornquist for them they had David Pasternak out Charlie Coyle was out their goalie took a rask, although he was injured and expected to be fine. But they had some major key serious players up there that were just, you know, you show up to the rink and you find out that a good portion of your team can't play. And that's got to be the nightmare scenario for the league, especially if they get into the bubble and something like this happens. I don't know what the next step is. I don't think they've announced anything and, and are probably hoping just to avoid it. But, yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. And hopefully that scare is over and we can just move on. And that's what we'll do. We'll move on into our next segment here, and we'll look at some of the positives and negatives coming out from training camp. And um, Jim, I, I guess we'll start with the positives here. Some of the players who have impressed so far, um, the likes of Connor Sherry, uh, Evgeny Malkin, from everything that's been reported and everything that you've watched in the, in these scrimmages, Evgeny Malkin is otherworldly at the moment is one of the words that I've heard used to, to describe his play right now. Uh, Jake Gensel looks to be in full 100% health, which is something that a lot of Penguins fans will be very happy and excited to hear. Uh, Sam Lafferty 
has picked up his play during these scrimmages. He's looked very, very noticeable uh, against some of his teammates. Evan Rodriguez is another player who, um, you, you know, I think he scored a goal in 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 while he replaced Sidney Crosby. I think he replaced Sidney Crosby on what they called the top line yeah. in in one of those scrimmages. But so far, you know, looking at these names, Sherry and Malkin and Gensel, those first three names the fact that they're performing the way they are, even against some of their teammates, like you said, you know, they're not going, uh, they're not going with full intensity. Um, you know, Malkin and Gensel specifically, because you look at those two, you, you, you consider those two stars of the team. Gensel, if you want to look at him even more closely, the fact that he's coming back from the injury that was supposed to keep him out um, for the remainder of the season, he is fit, ready to go. Just great all-around news from these players. You, you love to hear that these players are producing and you know getting getting everything ramped up and ready to go when the games start to matter. Definitely. Um, all those guys have been great. And like you said, I think a lot of people have taken for granted that Jake Gensel would just come back on the ice and not miss a beat and be as great as ever and, and just pick it up, keep it going which is a tall task because he's been so productive over his career, especially in the playoffs, 43 playoff points in just 41 games. And But yeah, to his credit, he looks like a million bucks out there. And if you didn't know he was hurt and out all of 2020, and this was his first action on the ice and at a high level, you would have never known you know, that this guy is coming off a major injury and a major surgery. So yeah, I, I was very impressed by him. I, I think he kind of hoped and expected him to do well and there's always high expectations for Jake Gensel but he's cleared the bar he he looks great he looks he looks ready to go so I think that's one of the best signs that that we can take away because I don't believe in reading too much into these scrimmages either as you kind of touched upon because it's not quite full bore hockey it's not the full thing it's it's good to see Connor Sherry looking good but I think this is something designed for a player like him who's a smallish skill player he's out there whizzing around making good things happen, which is awesome. And I hope he carries it up, but you know, this, these kind of venues are, are tailor made for his game really. And it's good to see Malkin looking so good. Like you said, I I've watched both the scrimmages in their entirety and he's been great. He's been awesome. He looks like himself too. He looks very focused and, and very ready to go. So that's obviously another really good sign for the Penguins. And uh, on the flip side of the coin here, you know, we've, uh, we've already talked about the absence of Patrick Hornquist and Sidney Crosby and uh, the the one other thing that you put in the in the podcast outline was the the situation surrounding Matt Murray and um, Jim. We've talked ad ad nauseum about Matt Murray and Tristan Jari on this podcast. Uh, we know the the sentiment and the, the the large portion of the fan the fan base here isn't really sold on Matt Murray. And um, you 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 have to um, correct me here if I'm wrong. That first scrimmage that Matt Murray played in. The seven nothing game was he in net for that entire uh, that entire scrimmage? Did he let up all seven of those goals in that first scrimmage? Yes, he did. So, on paper, you look at the fact that Matt Murray gives up seven goals in a scrimmage, and uh, I, I, I read your recap you put on Pensburg, and you described Matt Murray as being in battle mode. And when you go back and, and watch some of the video of Murray. It, it it kind of he doesn't look like his, his his he's at his best he's at his sharpest, but at the same time Jim you and I have both said to maybe hold back on criticizing a guy like Murray put an asterisk uh, you know on these scrimmages because they're not going 
at, uh, you know, they're not going at 100% full intensity. Letting up seven goals uh, is really like a goaltender never wants to experience that under any circumstance, I'm sure. But the fact that Matt Murray was going up against probably the top, you'd consider them the top two lines, a lot of the star players he was facing shots from, uh, his defense really never helped him out to begin with. So giving up seven goals looks bad on paper. I'm still of the mindset that they're going to ride with Matt Murray. I think Matt Murray is Mike Sullivan's guy for better or for worse. However, I've said it, and I believe you hold the same sentiment that um, I think we we both know that Murray might be on a shorter leash just because of the se- the, the season that Tristan Jari has had. So is there anything else you want to make of the, the, the early performances, the scrimmage performances of Matt Murray not looking so sharp early on? Yeah, I would just second what you said, especially about not reading too much into it. Like you said, uh, the team Murray faced was really good, and they were also doing some power play work, and I think they scored a couple there. And even if not, you've got Kevin Churchman and Chad Ruedel on the ice, and they're just letting Sheary and Gensel and Crosby make tic-tac-toe passes and get in tapping goals and passing from behind the, the net to prime chances. So I wasn't really that that disturbed by the Matt Murray performance, even though he wasn't really that good when they scrimmaged again, the next game and replaced the players, Tristan Jari faced the, the, we'll call him the good team, quote unquote, with Malkin and Gensel and Latang and all the big time players. And, um, Jari gave up three goals, but the top players weren't as sharp. Sidney Crosby wasn't there. I did see, Jari made one really good save, I believe, on either Zucker or Rust. They passed back real quick, so I forget who shot it. That would have been a goal against Murray based on the way Murray was playing, I I feel pretty confident in saying. So I saw Jari make one save that I don't think Murray would have made, but otherwise flipped the script, and and I think the performance was pretty equal, all things considered, considering the team strengths and the opportunities for each game. But yeah, I mean, you can't really look into a training camp style scrimmage and make very much out of it, which is kind of why I mentioned earlier that exhibition game against the Flyers, who starts that game, who plays in it? Do they both play? I think they both probably both will play. I think they probably both should play just because you have two good goalies. And traditionally, when the Penguins have long playoff runs, they need two goalies. So I don't think there's anything wrong with playing them both, seeing what you have. But I do agree that I think that the plan all along, all break, was they wanted to go with Murray. So I think Murray does start game one. Does he finish the series against Montreal? No, not if he's playing poorly. But if the team's winning, if he finds ways to, you know, keep the goals against down, then it's going to be his to run with. So, again, we'll see how that goes. But at least we're getting closer, I guess, to finally figuring it out. Well, it's been the theme of this entire episode, the wait and see aspect of, you know, the the Penguins hitting the ice against the Montreal Canadiens. And we'll have to wait and see what kind of Matt Murray or Tristan Jari we get when when that series begins. But like you said, we'll have to wait and see on that. But for now, we're going to flip to the final segment of the Pensburg podcast, that being the mailbag segment. Uh, if you're a new listener, if you're finding us for the first time after quarantine and uh, you're interested in what you're listening to or you're a longtime listener, you can submit questions every week to our Pensburg podcast mailbag. Every week we will... Uh, post a tweet from our Pensburg podcast Twitter account asking for your 
uh, participation in the mailbag segment. We always get a lot of fun, fun questions from a lot of our, um, a lot of our listeners. And uh, with this being the first podcast that we've put up in roughly four months, we will be from this point forward until the end of the season, where whenever that may be, we will be putting out a new episode every week from this point forward. So the podcast is back. The mailbag is coming back. Everything about the Pennsburg podcast is coming back in its traditional weekly form from this point forward. So Jim, without further ado, you get first crack at the mailbag this week from uh, the first question comes from Stephen Whitehouse. He says after an injury riddled season, regular season and losing a lot of their games up to the lockdown, did the pause come at the perfect time? And now that they're arrested and back at full strength, can they make a deep run into the playoffs? Thanks for the question, Stephen. Feels good to be back. Uh, yeah, from a very narrow view, and you know, if you want to be selfish and only think about the Penguins, the stoppage came at a good time for them because it got them Jake Gensel back. And you look across the league, the St. Louis Blues got Vladimir Tarasenko back. He was probably going to be out as well for the playoffs if it was a normal time. But other than that, um, Gensel is probably the best player who was out, who's able to play. And even you look across the board, Zach Aston Reese missed the last 12 games, and the Penguins only went 3-8 and eight in their last 11 games. So they kind of missed a player like Aston Reese at the bottom of their lineup who's good defensively. That, that gets overlooked, but that's a big part of their team and what they try to do with the bottom six. So just even getting a guy like that back and healthy and back up to speed or buying time for Brian Dumlin to come back from his injury or buying more time for John Marino just to get back to 100% and get over a season's worth of bumps and bruises in the NHL, that's going to be huge for them. And like I mentioned with Crosby, you know, his performance faded a little, I think, points-wise down the stretch. So you bought him a few months off, even though who knows if maybe now he's set up to have some kind of nagging or minor issue throughout the playoffs. Hopefully not, but... It probably would have been worse if they were playing in April, so you just got to get what you can take there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you look on paper, the Penguins look pretty much about as good as anyone if they can get the goaltending. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's reason for confidence and reason to be excited about this thing because they, they only have so many runs with this current, current Crosby, Malkin, Latang core still left to go, and this is the the last best chance they're ever going to have, so to say. So, yeah, I think they're primed as well as they could be with getting Zucker, getting Gensel back, you know. They're all loaded up, so hopefully we can see what comes of it. Our second question comes to us from Tony McEunan, who asks, I see another cup on the horizon. Our best players are so driven that dynamite couldn't slow us down. My only concerns are really the third pairing on defense and possibly starting with Murray. Any out-of-the-box concerns that you think can stop us against the Canadians? I think a lot of it has already been written about. You know, we've posted a lot of uh, a lot of uh, lineup projections and stuff like that on Pennsburg. Uh, you know, and I, I'll echo a lot of the similar sentiments here that I've written about and that you've written about. Um, everything points to the Penguins being heavy favorites in this early play-in series against the Canadians. I still hold true to the fact that the Penguins are heavy favorites and I expect them to play like heavy favorites, even though, like we said earlier, it's probably not going to be the most beautiful game that you've ever seen between two teams that are playing for the first time in four months. But with the sheer amount of firepower, if everybody, if everybody's healthy, if Crosby comes back and, and this, this nagging 
twinge or whatever it is isn't isn't lingering. If if Malkin plays at the level he's starting to gear up towards in these scrimmages, put Gensel on that line top line with Sherry. Um, you know, Zucker and and Brian Rust have found chemistry on that 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 second line with Malkin. Everything that I look to points towards the Penguins being really massive favorites in this series against a Canadians team that was packing it in, traded a lot of their assets down the stretch, and you know obviously wasn't looking towards a, a, a Stanley Cup run of any magnitude. You mentioned you know Jack Johnson and that third pairing. It's not ideal, obviously. It hasn't been ideal for the last two, you know, two-ish years that he's been on the team. Um, as long as Jack Johnson's not playing on the first pairing with Chris Letang, if he's down in a sheltered role or semi-sheltered role with Justin Schultz, you know, it's not the it's not the worst thing in the world. I don't think it would be a detriment, a massive detriment against a team like the Canadians, who, like I said, I, I don't find many. Um, you know, many scary things to come about them other than than maybe Carey Price and maybe a couple of their young guns. Uh, So I wouldn't worry too much about that third pair with Jack Johnson in this series. And we've already talked about Matt Murray's performance so far. You know, Jim, you you addressed it earlier. If he struggles early on, uh, they have the luxury of going to Tristan Jari. So, um, you know, as long as Jari doesn't implode, if both goalies don't implode, they, they, they should be in relatively good form. Uh, to withstand really anything uh, for the foreseeable future, hopefully past this play-in series. And uh, going into the more traditional rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs, everything looks good, at least from what I can tell. All right, our third question comes from uh, Noah Nur. Noah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Nur, the silent K. Noah Nur, what do you think slash want the Pens to do with our cap situation this offseason? Keep both goalies, move one for what, for what slash who, etc. It's a good question, and I'm going to give the same answer I've been giving all season pretty much is depends on what happens in the playoffs. I mean, if Matt Murray somehow shakes it off and plays really well and they go deep in the playoffs, then you're going to find a way to keep him and figure it out from there. If he doesn't, maybe it's a trade and he's gone this offseason. That's a real possibility. I, I could see that one going either way. Um I think they'll look probably to find a way to get out from Nick Bukestad, who's been injured a lot. He only has one year left on his contract, but a pretty high hit. So I think they'll need to move him along so they can fit re-signing guys like Jared McCann and some other items like that. But the Penguins don't have really that much work to do. I think a lot of the team you see now is the team you're going to see next year. Obviously, I think everyone expects Justin Schultz will be moving on and playing somewhere else. But, hey, the salary cap world isn't so great. Who's to say Schultz doesn't find the suitor he thinks he's going to find? So while I think most expect Schultz to move on, I who, I think who knows? I think who knows because at this point, everything's so up in the air and brand new and wide open. And it's going to be a quick offseason this year, too. The Stanley Cup's supposed to be given out in late September, early October, and then they're going to condense everything down. The draft's going to be in early October, and then I, I didn't see when free agency is, but I assume sometime around Halloween, and then training camp starting not too long after that, and then the regular season is scheduled to start December 1st. So that's a quick turnaround. I don't know what the market is going to be for all these guys who are unrestricted free agents, not that the Penguins have too many of those guys, but 
we'll have to see. I think a lot does depend. The goalie situation certainly is the biggest thing hanging over them, and they're going to have to figure that out this summer to see who plays well, who has a future in net. Is it going to be Murray? Is he going to earn a commitment from the team that shows why they want to stick with him? Or is he going to kind of play his way out of town? I, th- I think both are on the table, and it just depends what happens. Yeah, I uh, I, I agree with you, Jim. There's not really a whole lot to talk about in terms of the, the, the next season. That, that is an interesting point that I didn't think of, the fact that every the, the, the salary cap world, the next season will be a flat cap uh, for every team in the league. And I didn't even think about the possibility of maybe a guy like Justin Schultz not finding a potential suitor or getting the long-term contract that he originally thought he was going to get in the in, in, a, in a normal world. So that is an interesting scenario. Um, I think you and I both hold the 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 thought that I think he still is probably going to move on at season's end. But I agree, there, there's not a whole lot of things that the Penguins have to take care of salary cap wise. They have a lot of restricted free agents. A lot, of, a lot of young guys who don't have a lot of leverage. Uh, the goalie situation is going to be the most interesting scenario or most interesting um, point of interest to look at going into this um, this offseason, the short offseason and short free agent period. But yeah, that's that's about it, what I have to say. Do we have one more question or anything else? Oh yeah, uh, Commander Kern has no questions. It says a big hello and welcome back. So... Thank you, Commander. Welcome back to you, too. Hope you're enjoying the show. And I guess that's it for our mailbag this time around. Uh, yep. I, uh, welcome back to you, Commander, as well. Uh, thank you to everyone who has stuck with us through this um, this four-month delay of NHL hockey. We appreciate everyone who will be listening to this episode. And like I said before, all of the episodes coming out in uh, the, the, the next several weeks as the Penguins hope for a long Stanley Cup uh, playoff run. Uh, what we're going to do, what Jim and I have decided to do uh, next week, heading into the the eventual uh, series, the eventual exhibition game with the Flyers and the series with the Montreal Canadiens, we will have, uh, if things stand the way they are, we are going to have multiple episodes of the Pennsburg podcast drop sometime uh, next week probably with someone from Broad Street Hockey talking about the the exhibition game. And we'd like to get somebody from Habs Eyes on Eye on is it eyes on the prize or one eye on the prize? I think it's eyes on the prize. Yeah, multiple. <laughs> multiple eyes on the prize in Montreal. So uh, we'll have a lot of podcast content coming your way. We'll have a lot of uh, written content coming your way as well on Pensburg.com. Don't forget to uh, like and subscribe and download uh, from your podcasting platform of choice, I believe we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all of the major uh, podcasting platforms of your choice. So, Jim, uh, I think we did it. We This is a, a longer episode than we, we, than we were accustomed to before the pandemic. We obviously had a lot to talk about, but I'm glad to be back in the swing of things talking meaningful hockey with you once again. So, Jim, if you have anything else left to say, I'll... Let you put a bow on this episode of the podcast, and we'll get out of here. 
Yeah, we're out. Had to had to work the rust off ourselves. This is our phase three podcast. Excited for a couple more of these phase three podcasts as we figure out what's going on with the Flyers, what's going on with Montreal, and and get ramped up and hopefully get everybody excited and ready to go for only two Saturdays now. It's it'll be here before you know it. It'll be Penguins Montreal for a game that matters, and let's hope and we'll all be ready for it. Absolutely. Well, for Jimmy Rixner, Hooks Orpik, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to our Phase 3 episode of the Pensburg Podcast. We will see you guys next week.